My name is CJ, and welcome to The Crashdown. Episode 4, you guys. Can you believe it? We made it! It feels like a landmark episode for me. Probably not for you guys, because you're streaming it all on Netflix, but for me, who owns these DVDs, I know, Stone Age, not even Blu-ray. That's how old school I am with these things. (laughs) So, my quality might not be the same quality you're watching, but the plot and the heart is still there. So this felt like a landmark because it was the last episode on the very first disc, and it is called Leaving Normal. Let's get into it. This episode has so many things. We've got Liz's grandma in town. We've got a little bit of a love triangle starting to form between Liz, Max, and Kyle. Or is there? I don't know. Back and forth. On again, off again. But can you ever be on again or off if you've never even been on a date? We've got some of Kyle's jealous friends, and we've got a prankster Michael. Yes, one of my favorite characters is back with more wacky hijinks, almost as good as his candy for charity scheme, which he pulled off rather successfully. But first, the episode opens with yet another diary entry. That's right, they're back. It's October now. And she's asking... Can life really ever go back to normal? We'll find out, you guys. If it does, we might not have a lot to talk about in future episodes, so we'll just have to wait and see, I guess. So after Liz bears her soul to her journal, we cut to the crash down. And it is full of orthodontists. There's a convention in town. There are so many conventions that come to town, you guys, and only a small fraction of them have to do with aliens. These are orthodontists who really admire Sherry Appleby's overbite. And once again, we are faced with the dilemma of who is running this diner. We do meet more staff members in this, though. It's not just Liz and Maria. Some of the staff members from the staff meeting... During Liz's OCD work schedule meeting, our back, we meet Agnes, and also Jose, who is a chef. And Maria is begging him for her order. Of course, while they're serving, she and Liz are talking, and Liz tells her that Grandma Claudia is coming into town, and both the girls are super excited about this. Grandma Claudia is pretty kick-ass. She's basically Liz's role model. She's her hero. She's smart and confident and strong, and throughout the episode you learn so many crazy stories about this woman, about how she just wrote a book that's being published, so she has a huge archaeology background, and how she's really passionate about gun control and saving wild animals because she actually put three hunters under citizen's arrest. She took three burly hunters down and escorted them into town and into the police station because they were hunting deer, which may or may not have been in season. That's up for debate. But it was definitely on like a national park territory. So these men were not allowed to be there. So Grandma Claudia is kind of an icon. And I love that there's a strong female role model for Liz. I think that's why she's so dedicated and she's so motivated. When she first gets to town, Liz basically bears her soul. And it's funny because her parents basically laugh and say, good luck, you'll never get anything out of her. And then there's a smash cut, basically, to Liz's room, where she's like, so this is Kyle in a nutshell, and he may not be a soulmate, but he's like a nice guy, we're having fun. And Claudia's advice 
it's not about marrying him or trying to make it work. What she says is that not every relationship has to be the be-all and end-all. And I think that's great for a young girl. You don't know who you are yourself, so how do you know what to look for in a partner? You have to almost try people on for size? Is that a weird thing to say? But I think, you know, try dating someone outgoing and someone shy and someone who has the same hobbies and someone who has totally different hobbies so that you get different worldviews and see different values in life and different ways of life. How people spend their time and what they put importance on, it's, it's fascinating. So I love that she says that, that fun is good. Then Liz kind of gets a strange expression and she says, but what if there was something else? Basically, someone else. And she alludes to the fact that it's complicated, like really complicated. Because <laughs> how can you tell your grandma, hey, grandma, I really want to date an alien. That, that'd be cool of you, right? I know interracial relationships were a big thing in your day, but now it's interspecies dating. Get with the times, Grandma. Why should I date another human? I'm sure they're perfectly nice, whatever planet Max comes from. They must be really small people if they... Well, people. Can they still be called people? Is people a human thing? Or is that just conscious animals? Guys, I'm getting into philosophy here. Seriously, if you want to understand this show, if you want to analyze it on that level, we can have that level. Email me at thecrashdownpodcast at gmail.com because I can go into these things. I'd love to discuss the political and social ramifications of the definition of human and people because is human homo sapiens? Because I think we call intelligent animals like non-human something or non-homo sapien human or not mammal human. I don't know what it's called, guys. I'm not going to fact check this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Normally I try to edit this stuff out, but in all honesty, I'm not going to fact check this. But I can I can get into that. Ah, especially as we delve more into the series and uh, maybe we get some more answers. I don't know. Let's get back on track. Grandma's advice. Grandma's Grandma's a genius. That's why she's sparking this conversation. Not every episode maybe has this depth, but Grandma Claudia, you just... You got to get into the meaning of life in this episode. But when she talks to Liz and Liz confesses it's complicated, she tells Liz if it isn't complicated, it's probably not a soulmate. And This I kind of question. I think yes, because if you're meant to be with someone for a whole lifetime, you're going to have a lot of trials. Both of you are going to. And it's not going to be smooth sailing. But you're making a choice every day to be together. Oh my gosh, I'm getting into love now, you guys. Maybe I'm just feeling philosophical. Maybe I'm just a romantic at heart. I really like to think of myself as jaded. But obviously me gushing about this show is proving that I'm a big ol' softie. (laughs) But yeah, if you're going to have that soulmate, it's... A lifetime. Multiple lifetimes, if you believe in reincarnation. Who knows? (laughs) They don't really have time to get into it after this, though, because Maria comes barging into the room. My only issue with this is that Maria seems to love her, too. Which, that's totally cool, of course. When you've got a cool grandma, everyone loves your grandma. Who doesn't love good grandma? But she seems to hog 
Grandma Claudia, though. Whenever she comes into the room, she kind of makes it all about herself. Grandma Claudia has the best line here in response to her haircut, because it's still that blunt cut bangs, pointy Spock sideburns, weird pixie haircut. It honestly looks like it could be like a hat, like a weird shaped beanie. She kind of has that haircut of that kid in About a Boy. Does that make sense to anyone else? Am I the only one that sees that resemblance? That when she dresses a certain way, sometimes she does look like a prepubescent boy? And it's it's ludicrous, because you look at her face, and she's freaking gorgeous, and she has a killer body. It's just these accessory packages, the clothing, the hair, the weird messenger bags, the dated pencil kind of skirts, but not the sexy kind, the boxy kind that are made of jean, and these cut-off sleeves that aren't tank tops, but like wide, thick straps that were definitely like 2000, like summer of 2000. Oh, Maria. She does start getting better. But when she asks Grandma Claudia what she thinks of her hair, she steps back and thinks about it for a second, and then says, I think it's you. (laughs) I'm like, that's the perfect response to Maria. It is. It's very her personality. It stands out. It draws attention. It's graphic. It's different than what everyone else is doing. And that was a conscious decision. (laughs) Is it flattering? Hmm. I don't know. It's you. (laughs) What a great comeback. It's a compliment and an insult. All in one, no matter how you take it. And I take it as both, and it's hilarious. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Back at the crashdown, though, things are starting to get heated. I said earlier that it was very busy. There are a ton of orthodontists in town. Also Max, who now basically just lives there part-time. In addition, there are also a bunch of jocks that seem to be hanging around. And when Max leaves for the night, they follow him outside, surround him, tell him to stay away from Liz, and then proceed to kick the crap out of him. They definitely have him. It's like five on one, basically. And maybe Max could take them. We haven't seen those powers, but he has to be normal. That is his top priority. So he takes it and then tries to hide it from the rest of his family. Michael finds out almost immediately, though, and wants to go after them. These guys have been asking for it, and he is ready to dish it out. I love Michael. He's always ready for a fight. No matter what you do, he's ready to go. He's ready to explode. He's a crazy man. Max, however, the ever-rational one, wants him to do nothing. Now, more than ever, they have to blend back into the background. He can't heal his face. It has to be normal. Everything has to be normal. And if these guys, the most popular kids in school, want him to stay away from Liz, then that's what he'd better do going forward. And he does. He makes a point for pretty much the rest of the episode to dodge her in the hallway, to cut the conversation short. He actually even almost yells at her one time. We're not there yet, though. Where we are is Michael's prank war. One-sided prank war with a bunch of people who don't know they're being pranked. 
their lives just got a little suckier. And that's what I love about Michael. He spreads chaos wherever he goes. And isn't that what good TV is really about? So during this tirade, he has basically three big pranks that he pulls. The first one, and the music that is playing while this is happening, is like over the top. It's like so poppy and such a joke. And it's so... 90s, it's incredible. It would be in a, not even a romantic comedy, a flat out like farcical comedy. That's Michael in a nutshell. Anyway, his first prank is to walk by one of the jocks and accidentally, in quotations, accidentally bump into him and just touch him on the shoulder. And what this does is it's basically like alien magic itching powder. Because after this, he can't stop scratching himself. At first, when he's talking to, obviously, a girl he likes at school, it's just a casual scratch. And then he's, like, reaching under his shirt and itching his whole body like mad. And Michael's just standing in the background like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. It's hilarious. (laughs) For his next big prank, he is sitting in class, a very rare occurrence for Michael, It's obviously only to pull this prank. He's sitting in class and he waits for one of the other jocks to go in and they're taking a test and he hands his sheet into like a box on the teacher's desk and then leaves the classroom. Michael jumps up right after him, waves his hand over the paper and all the answers on the test change. Then he drops his own and kind of leaves the room. Which, again, leaves me wondering, if they can just change their tests, they should just change their grade, and they should just change their driver's license, and they should just move away and live wherever they want and be whatever they want. And, like, if a court document, like, disagrees with what their changed license says, Michael could just be like, please let me see that document, and then wave his hand over that, and then hand it back, and then it says what he says, and then he makes those people think he's crazy, because... Who could just change a piece of paper like that? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm more risky. I'm willing to take more risks than the average alien. But I guess I can't really say because I am not an alien. I have never been off the planet Earth. Oh, I'm sorry. I glitched there. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Getting back to Michael's pranks. The third and final cherry on the cake is that he melds Kyle's locker shut. And it takes a maintenance guy totally prying off the door to get that thing off. The only problem with this prank, though, is it would be impossible to just melt that section of the locker. The heat required for that specific metal to melt would just be too high to localize like like that. It's impossible, which now leaves Kyle suspicious. You can't really pin it on anyone, but again, when thing after thing after thing just doesn't line up, everything starts sticking out. Anything out of place is now a clue, and you do not want those clues lining up and pointing right back to you. So Max freaks, I know I say that a lot, but he gets extremely angry at Michael This is the exact opposite of what he asked him to do. He asked him to lay low. But Michael's really pissed at this point because Max is the one that screwed up. Max is the one that healed Liz. And 
All he's doing is playing a few pranks that they could never in a million years tie back to him. You're just itchy one day? Oh, you fi a jock failed a test? These are not strange things. Maybe the locker's a little over the top, but there was no surveillance in these halls. There were no security cameras in these corridors. It's crazy. During this confrontation, though, when Michael gets pissed and says, you're the one that saved Liz, Max loses it. He shoves Michael up against the wall, basically pins him there, and says he would do it again right now. All of what he's going through, all the risks, all the exposure, everything is worth it to him to have her know the truth. And so even if he can't be with her, just the fact that she actually knows him is almost enough for him. Michael, though, is totally alone. And Michael kind of just brushes it off, saying he can't be sure they can trust Liz. He doesn't trust anyone right now. He said that right from the beginning. He's only ever had Max and Isabel. And they were like him. They were the only things like him. They were the, they were the only people to ever understand him. And now he feels like he doesn't have anyone. It's... Ugh, poor Michael. During all this, Max is going according to plan. He is pulling away from Liz. When she waits for him outside his classrooms, he dodges her. Liz can definitely feel this. She even says to Maria that it feels like he's pulling away. Although, how can he be pulling away if they were never together? Max is definitely struggling with this decision. You just see him march into the boys' locker room and kick down one of the bathroom stall walls. And Michael happens to be in the other stall, so I don't know if this is their hangout. Like, in Veronica Mars, she always conducts meetings in the bathroom. Is that the go-to place? Well, I guess in high school it really was. If you had to talk about someone or something, you left the room that everyone was in, the calf or the hallway or whatever, so you could talk alone because you could pretty much see who was in there, especially if you were a creep and looked under the stalls to see if anyone's feet were there. But anyway, Max knocks down the wall and Michael has this another great line saying, Gandhi feeling frustrated? Max does not take this well. It's pretty accurate though when you look at max he is he believes in non-violent passive response to these situations while these boys are distracted though kyle has a chance to make his move even though grandma's in town and maybe because grandma's in town he rents a movie and i wrote it down that is called massacre at sunset village <laughs> Liz does not think this is appropriate, but it's about a serial killer that decides to target a retirement home. So, you know, it's definitely got something for her in there. Old people. Old people love other old people, right? And they're used to seeing their friends die. Oh, ouch. <laughs> I just thought of that as, as it was coming out, you guys. That was... <laughs> ouch. <laughs> I'm not a good person. I'm just thinking about what comes next. Oh, goodness. <laughs> if we are getting reincarnated, I'm going to come back as a slug or something, you guys. Because on the way back from this pre-date, I guess, picking out the movie to watch on their date, there is an ambulance in front of the Crashdown Cafe. Bringing it down, guys. Oh, yikes. Liz runs over to the front and basically finds out that her grandma has collapsed and she's rushed to the hospital and you find out that she's had a stroke. She's in stable condition and she's responding well. 
However, it's going to take some time before they can assess the full extent of the damage. Now, her parents and her are waiting around in the hospital waiting room, and Kyle has decided to stay with them. But Liz sneaks off and makes a phone call on a payphone. That's what you did. You didn't just have a cell phone in your pocket. They could solve so many problems. In this show coming up, they could solve so, so, so many problems if they just had a way of contacting each other. That's why I love this show. And if you can live in that time capsule of 99, 2000, what technology was like, this is a great show. If you are a millennial, though, I could see how it would be hard to watch this. If you can jump on board the shipping train and fall in love with these characters, you're going to do okay. But if technology is really your thing, you're going to struggle. And I'm sorry. Until maybe we get into some... Spoiler, 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 spoiler. Don't listen if you don't want to know the spoiler. Alien technology. Hmm? I guess it's to be expected. There's already, like, alien magic, so. But, spoiler, 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 technology. That's kind of a twist. And that can be anything you want it to be. And it doesn't have to make sense, because it was devised not of this earth. Anyways, she uses this payphone in the hospital to, well, I guess some... I guess some hospitals would have payphones because a lot of them tell you to turn your cell phones off when it interferes with some of the like magnetic equipment and whatnot. I guess when a machine costs like a hundred thousand dollars, you know, you don't want some person screwing it up when they get a text message or something like that. Anyway, she calls Max. He doesn't pick up because he's trying to avoid her, but she leaves a message telling him what happened, that she's at the hospital, that her grandma had a stroke, and she even says that it's kind of silly of her to call, but that's, you find out later, that's just what her heart told her to do. The sweetest part is, though, he actually shows up at the hospital, and it's a really awkward scene between him and Kyle is just glaring at him in the background. Liz's parents are just standing there like, uh, who is this guy? Because he kind of just walks up, and this is how smooth Max is. He has a cover story that his cousin got in a car accident, and that's why he's there, and he just happens to see her, and Liz picks up on it right away and says, oh, well, my grandma had a stroke, as if he didn't know that, as if that's why he wasn't there. And they just kind of share this moment, and he says he's sorry, and she introduces her parents to him or him to her parents, uh, maybe both. I, well, she does do both. That's a very proper introduction, Sherry Appleby. Congratulations. <laughs> I barely remember to introduce myself at the beginning of this podcast, and there's only one of me. Like, I, guys, I gotta get it together. <laughs> I just really find this moment sweet, though. That he would come even knowing that he couldn't stay, even knowing that all he could say was, I'm sorry. He still came. Kyle really picks up on this, though. What guy just does that? He's already suspicious of him. So he follows him outside and basically tells him to stay away from Liz. <laughs> and Max, with his bruised eye and his cut lip, is like, Yeah, I got that. <laughs> Obviously. You had your goonies beat me up. Yeah, I think I can get the hint when they screamed, Stay away from Liz, as they kicked me. <laughs> cheap shot. After getting home from the hospital, though, we get to see our very first real interaction in the Valenti household. That's right, when Kyle goes home, he's vegging out on the couch, and Sheriff Valenti comes home. Good old dad. They have their first 
little heart-to-heart, I guess, on the couch. Kyle is really resistant to share what's going on. It's girl troubles. But he does open up to his dad, saying, well, first of all, what happened to Liz's grandmother, that she had a stroke. Sheriff Valenti sends his condolences. Kyle is, again, he's, he's resistant. He's obviously very jealous that there's something or someone else. Valenti knows right away. He's like, is that, it's that Max Evans kid. And he tells Kyle, stay away from him. He's bad news. Kyle just groans. Like, does everyone in town know this? Does everyone in town see what these two characters have? Yes. If they have eyeballs and they're like me, they can see the chemistry between these two characters and these big old puppy dog eyes that they're throwing each other. Even though Max, Jason is, uh, he's no 16 year old. But Cherry Appleby with these big doe eyes, she's just a baby doll and I love her. Around here, we also get our first glimpse of Max working at the UFO Center. He's basically stuffing guts back into a fake alien when his sister Isabel comes to visit and tells him that's real dignified. And this is when she first sees his face and flips out and is angry again. But she understands it has to be normal. Her advice, though, is to stay away from Liz. And Max is just, he gets it, he gets it, stay away from Liz. But Isabel's been saying that from the beginning. She, like Michael, values her privacy. The sweet thing in this episode, though, is we get to continue her storyline from last week, all about family and bonding with Maria. Again, we do get a little bit more of Maria. Maria steps up. Maria is a fantastic friend. I said before I would love to be Sherry Appleby. I would love to have a friend like Maria. I actually kind of do. I have a couple of best friends, and they may not be as wacky as Maria, but they definitely have as much heart as this girl. When she sees Liz suffering and in need, she gives her hugs, she gives her counseling, she gives her support and reassurance, and she also offers to cover her shift. There's no way someone should have to be waiting tables, dealing with rude orthodontists, asking her to smile when she just wants to cry her eyes out because her grandma's in the hospital. So Maria is covering her shift at the diner, and here we go again. So I said there's Jose the cook, now we also meet Agnes. Good old, shitty old Agnes, who does not care that they're having a rush or that they're totally slammed. The customers will get their food when they get their food. And if that means walking out in the middle of a shift to go have a smoke and leaving Maria entirely alone on the floor, who cares? But again, here's a scheduling thing. Maybe Liz is the most organized, best waitress in the world. She could be. If your dad owns a diner and you grew up there, you probably know what you're doing. I really don't think that she could cover more than half this restaurant, though. Because I don't think Maria can cover half this restaurant. And Agnes, she'd be lucky if she could take care of four tables. Like, honestly, two two tops would be hard for this lady. Well, maybe not hard, because I don't think she cares or tries at all. But that would be about sufficient time that she could actually give them adequate customer service. So, once again, who is scheduling? And I understand, the dad is also grieving. But you're a grown man. Learn how to manage your restaurant. Why were you leaving this in the hands of your teenage daughter? And now that she's grieving because her favorite relative is, you know, sick in the hospital, you're not going to step up to the plate? How about the, like... Nancy, the mom, like, there's so many people. How about Jose, the chef? 
I get it, you cook, not manage, but if you've worked at a place for years, you know how it runs. You just see it every day. You know it's weak links, you know it's strengths, you know the days it's going to be busy. You just know these things after a while. You can sense it, you can tell, oh, it's rainy today, we're going to get slammed. You know, oh, it's a sunny day, well, everyone's going to want to sit down on the patio. There's just trends, some of them are obvious, but it becomes intuitive after a while. Someone should be able to step up and do this. Like, even making a schedule. Just, other than, like, crossing out Liz's name, just print off the schedule from last week. You don't even have to create a new one. Just get people to volunteer. And I'm pretty sure if you've been working at an establishment for a while and, like, the owner's mother is sick in the hospital, you would take another shift on. It's probably not a big deal. Or hire some temporary work, which is what they do. This is how we all started. Back to Isabel. She may come off cold, but she has a heart when it comes to those that she cares about. The thing is that circle is very, very small. Not very many people are in that bubble. However, when Maria is absolutely slammed and she sees Isabel walking by with some of her friends, she goes out and begs her to help. Not for her, because Isabel doesn't like Maria, but for Liz and because of her grandma. Isabel is really above this kind of serving menial labor. However, you do see her later on in her bedroom, changing into the little uniform, that's right, teal t-shirt dress with a silver collar and, oh, is that a headband? Maybe? Oh, complete the look. The thing with Isabel, though, is she's a tough chick. She goes in and she does not take guff from anyone. Being busy does not affect her. When one person calls her ma'am... She calls them out and says that they are not going to get any service that way. And when two of her flaky friends come by and basically tell her that she's lowering their popularity just by serving other people, she tells them to back off. That's what's great about Isabel. I like a good, strong female lead that doesn't take crap from anyone, who has their own opinions, and is going to have those opinions no matter what anyone says. Whether they're popular or not, she believes what she believes, and she is going to tell you. And that that's a very rare person. So to have her step up, and to have Maria even swallow her pride to ask Isabel for help, it just shows that these five really are becoming a close group, and it is five because Alex is not really anywhere to be seen, and Kyle is most definitely on the outside of this. When Max sees Isabel changing, though, he starts to realize that something serious is actually going on. Isabel says that she heard that Liz's grandma really isn't doing well, and if Isabel is willing to demean herself like this, it must mean something. And she even has a sweet line where she tells Max if she was struggling like that, if something happened to their grandmother, she wouldn't want to be kept from the one person that she felt like talking to. And in that case, it's Max. When she first found out the news, the first gut reaction she had was, I have to go and tell Max. So we get a crack of this Isabel shell. We get to see her gooey center, just like we saw my gooey center earlier, you guys, and not gross. Guys, don't be gross. I'm being sweet here, okay? We're talking about romance, we're talking about love, we're talking about family, and not about how we get families. But Isabel was right. Things are not going well at the hospital. In fact, Liz's grandma has another attack and falls into a coma, which the doctors say 
she's unlikely to ever wake up from. This leads Liz to ask Max something that she knows she shouldn't be asking, and she apologizes even as she's asking it because she knows that it's wrong. But she has to know, can he heal her grandmother? Can he make her better? He can't, though. What happened to Liz was a fluke. She was shot. That wasn't natural. What's happening to her grandmother was her own body. It was her time. He can't change that. He's not a god. And I do like that. They are drawing lines in the powers. They have some, but they can't control everything. They can't turn back time. They can't, you know, fly off into the air without a spaceship. Not that they have a spaceship, but, <laughs> you know. Uh, and again, like, they, he can heal. He probably could have healed his face. He could have removed the bruise. He could have fixed his split lip. Because he was injured. Something happened to him. His lip didn't just split open on its own. When some guy was punching him in the face, it probably tore. You know, as these things do. And speaking of these jocks, after practice or school or when they're just hanging out, they're joking about Max and Liz and Kyle. And Kyle learns just what these guys did. He never knew. That's right. He wasn't in on it. This whole time, Michael had been pranking him and Max saying, I got the message or I know I got it. Kyle hadn't said anything. Sure, maybe he had complained to a couple of his buddies that they had been hanging out. And maybe, of course, they could have seen the chemistry for themselves. But he did not ask them to do this. He didn't want them to do this. He actually tells them it's wrong. And as soon as he finds out this information, he goes to Liz right away bad move. Liz's grandmother's in a coma and you're going to talk about this mess? I mean, he thinks that she knows already, so he wants to do damage control. But when he tells her, it makes it ten times worse because he didn't deserve it and Liz starts defending him. He's the nicest guy. He's the last person in the world who'd ever want to hurt anybody. And Kyle gets really mad. Why are you defending him? Why are you always on his side? Liz can't understand how Kyle is defending his friends, though. Kyle keeps saying that they were trying to help out, that they're really nice guys. But they aren't nice guys. Nice guys don't do that to total strangers for no reason. Something provoked them. Something had to have been said that prompted this visceral of a reaction from them. And now I feel, I feel bad for Kyle. He didn't want this, and he didn't ask for any of this. But it's happening. And it is partially him to blame. If he wasn't jealous, if he hadn't brought it up, if he hadn't been so obvious in hating this guy, maybe they wouldn't have made a move. Who knows? But all Liz can see is that these are not good guys. Kyle can't see that, though, and thinks there has to be something going on with Max and asks her repeatedly. Liz denies it, says there's nothing going on with Max. And there's nothing going on with them, either. She calls it she dumps him. She cuts him loose. She apologizes because it's Liz. She's a sweet girl. She's nice. She doesn't want to hurt his feelings. But it's not about Max. It's just not a good fit. And your friends are a reflection on you. And if that's what they're doing, is that something that you would do when you say they're helping out? Do you really think what they're doing is wrong? You're saying it's wrong. But then you're also saying they're good guys. And sure, good people can make mistakes. That happens all the time. But they were pretty malicious. Michael pulled his pranks, but itching for a few minutes, that's 
that's totally different than numerous guys cornering someone in an alley and holding him down while you let the others beat him. Those are two very extreme things. It would be different even if it was two or three guys getting in a fist fight because that's almost instigated. There was probably some arguing, going back and forth. Following someone, stalking someone, and then following them out of a restaurant to corner them, that's malicious intent. That's like aggravated assault. I don't know my crimes, but that feels like more than just like a domestic dispute type, oh, kerfuffle. So poor Kyle has to deal with this fallout. Liz is heartbroken, sort of, and she's really grieving for her grandmother. All is completely not lost, though, because Max gathers his courage and goes back to the hospital. He might not be able to save Liz's grandmother, but that doesn't mean he still might not be able to help. So he goes and tries to make one of these spirit connections with her so Liz can communicate with her one last time. And he does. He gets this spirit connection slash projection (laughs) of the grandmother who is still in her hospital gown like really they couldn't have like put her in a dress it's like no when I imagine myself and project myself I'm gonna have this assless hospital gown on that's how she rolls grandma Claudia don't give no shits she's gonna flash anyone she's like a streaker maybe in her free time who knows this is a wild woman maybe that's like her normal everyday wear is like oh yeah I love assless chaps that's my that's my oh god oh god you guys I told you I had a messed up mind (laughs) anyway so she's there and it's this touching moment not this perverted moment it's this touching moment where Liz gets to say everything that she wanted to say about how much her grandmother means to her and how her grandmother makes her feel special and how she doesn't know what she's going to do without her The grandmother knows that she's going to be just fine, though. And she sees herself in Liz. And then, I didn't actually get this until this watch-through. I don't know if I'm just not paying attention or what. But the grandmother says, it's a gift. And I always thought, what? That she's like you? That's a gift? Like, how conceited are you that you're like, oh, good, another me. But I realize she says, it's a gift I'll take with me. So, it's a gift to her, well, no, that's still kind of selfish. I guess she's just happy that she, that Liz is adventurous, that she's living her life. I don't know. What do you guys think? Is that a selfish thing? Is that supposed to be a sweet thing? It always just kind of hits me, and I'm like, that. this show sometimes has such great lines. They really hit you. So when there's these awkward moments that aren't meant to be awkward, there are some scripted awkward moments, but this is just, ah, I don't know. What she does finish up with, though, is she tells Liz to follow her heart wherever that might lead. And this leads us into the closing diary monologue of the show about how your heart sometimes takes you places you shouldn't go, places that are dangerous, places with no happy endings. The one thing about following your heart is that you leave normal. And you can basically never go back. So there's the title of the episode. We've got our diary bookends again. We missed them last week. Voiceover monologue just isn't the same. Although we will have much more of that than diaries in the future. So I don't know. Which do you guys prefer? Voiceover that happens throughout the show? Or diary entry where she's like, October 19th. 
Who knows? Which do you think is better? Is the monologue a better running commentary on the show, like she's the own narrator of the events? Or do you like seeing her recollections of the day where she's philosophizing? We've been philosophizing today. Me and my schizophrenic self and you, the audience, I guess. Do you guys talk back to me? Should I leave longer pauses so you guys can answer back? Because I can definitely do that, guys. I know, I don't know if I talk too fast. Let me know. Thecrashdownpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And I'm going to end this episode the way this episode ended. With Liz and Max walking down the street in front of the crashdown. Her thanking him. Him awkwardly putting his finger over her mouth. It's not quite as cute as when he points up in the first episode. And just says it's okay. In this scene, Liz is such a good crier. She's not like wah wah crying. Her eyes are red and tears are streaming down her face and those eyebrows are just kind of wavering. She's quiet and it's so sweet. She is about to walk inside, then turns around and they just hug. And then this crane shot kind of pans up so you see the street and you see the edges of the spaceship that's wedged into the building and it goes up and up and then fades into credits. Aww. Isn't it so sweet? I love this show. And I love that the characters are there for each other. Even though they feel this romantic interest for each other, obviously, they are there for whatever their friends need. Right now, Liz just needed someone to talk to. She just needed someone there for her, that was on her side, that didn't want anything or need anything from her, who just was. And Max is really good at that. Some of you people that think maybe he's a stone-faced actor, he's just there, and he's present, and he's listening, and he's conflicted. He can't just give in to what he wants, but he's not going to let someone suffer. That's not who he is. When Liz says he wouldn't hurt anyone, that he's the last person in the world that would want to hurt anyone, it's true. There's a reason that Max has these healing powers. He has a big heart. Anyways, that's all I've got for today. Once again, if I missed anything, if I left anything out, maybe I'll do like a mailbag episode or something. And if anyone has any questions or comments or anything you want me to read, as long as it's not too, too graphic, and then I'll save those for a private time. So click subscribe, click like, give me a review on iTunes, and I'll catch you guys next week for episode five.